This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. St. Thomas Aquinas says, following Aristotle, that all learning proceeds from something, un something already known to something unknown. You, you begin with certain principles, certain starting points, and from things already known hazily or in part, you draw out new inferences or you bring clarity to what's known hazily or in part. And what I'm, one of the things I'm interested in in the next half hour to 40 minutes or so, we'll see, see how it goes, is helping you to bring clarity to something that I take it you already know. I take it that you already know something about prayer because you take part in it. But I'm wanting to, so I, I if there are any fireworks going off, the fireworks are all going to be basically elicited in you from something you already know about prayer and your own experience, something you've already learned or read or reflected upon in conjunction with something that I, I'll present to you on the basis of, of Aquinas' works, all right? That word exhortation is a strange word, and it's funny you mentioned that because as I was thinking about what how to begin this talk tonight, as I was praying, I, I, I saw... Uh, an image of a hunter and that brought to my mind immediately this is now you tell me which is weirder that I saw a hunter while I was praying or that that made made me think immediately of Thomas's Thomas Aquinas's commentary on Boethius's on the hebdomads uh, here's the connection it's a peculiar book and it's a peculiar commentary on a peculiar book Thomas, at the beginning of this book, says of, of Boethius that he was a hunter for exhortations. And I remember reading that the first time and thinking, I'd like that on my tombstone. A hunter for exhortations. Someone asked me earlier at, at dinner, you know, what, what do you do? What, what's your research? And I thought, yeah, I'm a hunter for exhortations. <laughs> what do I mean by that? I mean... I spend a lot of my time reading old, dusty books. I spend a lot of my time uh, collating concepts and, and counting distinctions. But what I'm after, what I'm digging for, are exhortations. Little things I can give to people uh, that will point them and hasten them toward God. An exhortation is principally about hope. And you, hope is important. You need hope to pursue things that are difficult. You need to know how much hope it's reasonable to have with respect to things that might seem beyond your reach. And this is true in your life quite generally, but it's especially true in what I'm going to call this evening the contemplative life, your life of prayer. And one way to think about this talk is 
as an exhortation. I'm trying to put before you a certain account of what prayer is and what it's like and what kind of person you would be and have to become in order to find yourself awash in the, the kind of life that I'm going to try to describe and the, and the approach to prayer that I want to put before you. That's the exhortation. Okay? All right. So I'm going to start by talking about the contemplative life. What's that? You have to know something about, about that. That's this big, broad thing that comprises a collection of activities. And prayer is just one activity that falls under this big umbrella, the contemplative life. And, I, but, I have, but to talk about prayer, the way that I want you to think about prayer, I need to talk about the contemplative life. And to do that, I just need to just hit pause and say, this is a strange, another strange term. Here's how not to think about it. We moderns, we talk about life and the lives we lead kind of like this. We thought we might talk about our home life. We talk about family life. We talk about political life. We talk about what? The moral life. What else do we talk about? My social life. Okay. People talk about their sex lives. Um, there are many, many ways that we carve up our lives in order to talk about some specific domain. And some of it is just perfectly innocent. I mean, after all, our lives do manifest in distinct domains and distinct activities and with interfacing communities and things like this. But sometimes we use the, these distinctions to kind of conceal from ourselves or to partition our lives in ways that are convenient but not good for us and good for others. In any case, Thomas, and not just Thomas Aquinas, but the many, many authorities that he is drawing upon would look at the way that we talk about these different kinds of lives as rather arbitrary and, un and under-theorized. Because, according to Thomas... There are really just two kinds of life when it comes to human life. What do you mean? What I mean by that is there are really just two, basically two domains, two realms of activity. And the most basic distinction uh, between these two lives, the active life on the one hand and the contemplative life on the other, comes directly out of the kind of creatures we are and the kind of faculties that we possess. There are basically, when it comes to knowledge, Aquinas thinks, there are basically two things or two kinds of knowing that you engage in. On the one hand, you spend a lot of time seeking to know things 
for the sake of action. Call this practical knowledge, right? So your car breaks down, you better know, you have to know how to fix a car. If you're gonna be a lifeguard, you've gotta know how to save lives. If you want to, who studies fracture? If you wanna know how to build a bridge, you've gotta know how things fall apart. You've gotta to understand torque and weight and, and everything else, right? This is, I, I know something vaguely about, about the realm of physics, but you have to know these things for very concrete purposes, no pun intended on the bridge. All right, stay with me. Okay, that's one kind of knowing, and a lot of our life is devoted to that. But there's this other domain of human life, and depending on the, con the way your own life is constituted, it may even be vanishingly small, but it is there. You, a human being made in God's image, are irresistibly prone to ask about the truth for its own sake. That's the claim. There are a couple of Latin terms that are annexed to this kind of desire, this kind of knowing. One of them is speculare. Another near cognate, contemplare. Let me give you an example of of the of speculative knowledge and the and the desire for speculative truth it may it may or may not illustrate another point i'd like to make this evening a couple summers ago i was on i was in maine with um, a couple of other a couple of good friends people i've since become very good friends with and one of them grew up um, one of them grew up uh, jewish and that meant that he, um, at cer on, on certain feast days, would set a table for Elijah. And it, this is part of, part of Jewish tradition. And um, we had this massive telescope. We, and we'd been talking about, uh, about Elijah and, and things. So we had this massive telescope. And what do you do with a telescope? You gaze through it. And we were looking for, this is, this, and, and I can't believe we, it actually happened. We were looking for, and thought we could actually find Andromeda. Andromeda is the nearest galaxy to our own. It's, it can be, and it can be seen with the human eye. Not, you, you can look at it. You can, I've seen it through a telescope. It's amazing. All right. What are we wanting? What are we looking for? We're just simply looking for Andromeda through this telescope. And, uh, we had everything set up, and as just as everything was set up, this billow of clouds just kind of rolls in, and it, it was a bluebird sky, and the next thing we know, the clouds are in the way. And my friend, half jokingly, I think, said, maybe we should pray to Elijah and ask him to move the clouds. The rationale being that Elijah has some kind of special um, knack for changing the weather from the biblical story. And so he said, uh, St. Elijah, I used to set the table for you every, uh, um, every now and again when I was a little boy and I waited for you. And would you come now and would you blow these clouds away? And I kid you not, within a matter of minutes, the clouds were gone. The sky was clear. 
What were we wanting in all that? What were we looking for? Were we, were we searching for something that uh, practical, something that we could produce something from or bottle or sell or pass on in any way? Or No, we're just looking for its own sake. We're seeking to see something that can be seen. And the claim about the distinction between the contemplative and the active life is that there's a large part, uh, uh, the most, indeed the most significant part of who you are that is actually ordered to something like that. And that desire for, uh, to know the truth for its own sake, is unquenchable. It won't stop with Andromeda because how did Andromeda get there? Well, that's not an answer you can, that's not a question that can be answered by gazing through a telescope. But it does, but it does initiate another kind of inquiry. This distinction between the active and contemplative life is a distinction about the kinds of creatures we are. And the way that Aquinas sees it is that the contemplative life, this, let me just pause. The claim is that you have a contemplative life. You have one already. It may be just incomparably small compared to the rest of, of, of your waking life. It may be not ordered in the way that we hope it would be ordered to uh, the right things in the right way, but it is there. All right? All this is meant to sort of set a kind of backdrop for understanding the way that, the, that prayer has been understood as a part of this contemplative life, this search for the truth. To, to help you get a, um, a grip on this, I'm just going to point you to a couple passages. Okay, so you should have two handouts. You should have this, this handout that's an outline, right? And then this other uh, handout that includes uh, just some quotations, all right? Okay, so look, I'm going to read you this passage from Guigo II. You can call him Guy. It's more chummy. He's a Carthusian monk. He's the ninth prior of the Grand Chartreuse Monastery. And he tells us, quote, One day, I was busy working with my hands, and I began to think about our spiritual work. And all at once, four stages in spiritual exercise came to my mind. Reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation. These make a ladder for monks by which they're lifted up from earth to heaven. So then he goes on to tell us what each of these things are. There's four, so there's four rungs in the ladder. Reading is the careful study of the scriptures, concentrating all one's powers on it. Meditation is the busy application of the mind to seek with the help of one's own reason for knowledge of hidden truth. Prayer is the heart's devoted turning to God to drive away evil and obtain what is good. Contemplation is when the mind is in some sort lifted up to God and help above itself so that it tastes the joys of everlasting sweetness. 
All right, if we kept going, we'd end there with this handy little metaphor uh, that compares the rind of a fruit to its sweet center, but we're going to stop. The point I just want to make to you here is this is a classic account of the what are considered in the Christian tradition, East and West, the four activities that comprise a contemplative life that is lived in pursuit of God. Reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Now listen to the way that this, this schema that Guigo has just laid out is differently inflected by a, an anonymous Dominican author who is describing for us the, on the, in the next quotation the way that St. Dominic engaged in reading, meditation, prayer, and so forth. As the psalm says, I will hear what the Lord God is speaking in me. It was as if he, that's Dominic, were arguing with a friend. At one moment, he would appear to be feeling impatient, nodding his head energetically. Then he would seem to be listening quietly. Then you would see him disputing and struggling, laughing and weeping all at once, fixing his gaze, then submitting, then again speaking quietly, beating his breast. If anyone was inquisitive enough to want to spy on him secretly, he would find that the Holy Father Dominic was like Moses who went into the innermost desert and saw the burning bush and the Lord speaking and calling to him to humble himself. The man of God had a prophetic way of passing quickly from reading to prayer and from meditation to contemplation. So let me, let me gloss this passage for you and point out a couple of things. First, it begins with the testimony of Holy Scripture, Psalm 84, 9, that indicates that there is indeed some sense in which a human being can hear what the Lord God speaks in him or her. And the second thing to note is St. Dominic was so thoroughly invested in the possibility of hearing what the Lord God spoke in him that as he was reading scripture, it was like he was arguing with a friend, a companion, like someone he knew and loved and was known and loved by. And any illusion about the, this kind of um, dreary, boring sort of hold up in a little room studying dusty books you know conception of what this is all about just basically evaporates like like the mist at dawn this is a this is like a full contact sport for dominic <laughs> he's 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 laughing 
He's crying. He's up. He's down. He's beating his breast. He's, he's speaking to God and takes it that God is speaking to him. Finally, notice this. This is one of those exhortations I was telling you about. Notice this. What was, you, what, what was so remarkable about St. Dominic, among other things, is that he passed from reading to prayer, on the one hand, and then from meditation to contemplation, effortlessly. So, so Wigo just gave us this kind of laddered view of, of the contemplative life. And now what's being said that Dominic somehow was able to sort of skate between these rungs, hopping, hopscotching yeah, over from one to the next. All right. What I want to suggest now is, is very simple. We're going we're gonna to jump over these, see this pat, these, these texts here from um, the fifth master general of the order of preachers, Humbert. Okay. That's just a list of texts that he lists for novice as reading for novices in, um, in his, in his work on the offices of the order. And I put that there just for fun. So you could see, Hey, listen, if you wanted to go read the books that say St. Thomas read as a novice about the contemplative life, you go read these. And you begin to see way, um, all this the way that Thomas was taught to see it. Okay. And indeed, Thomas retains this basic fourfold schema of the contemplative life. Reading, meditation, prayer, contemplation. And now I'm going to read this passage to you and gloss that for a moment. And again, what are we doing what I, what I want to talk about is prayer, but I want, to, I want to bring into focus for you not just prayer, but the place of prayer in an in a, in, in approach to a little slice of your life that you already, that's already there, that, but that could be cultivated in a new way. So here it goes. Thomas says, contemplation is sometimes taken strictly. And in another way, it refers more generally to every act by which someone, having separated himself from exterior pursuits, frees himself for God alone. Pause. Everybody just relax, because guess what? We have officially stepped out of the wind. We have paused from, our, from, from exterior pursuits. We are fully absorbed right now, especially you, in the contemplative life. What are we looking for when we're what, what, this is wait. It's meant to be a kind of rest. Someone who's separated themselves from exterior pursuits frees themselves for God alone. This happens in two ways, says Thomas. Either when a man hears God speaking to him in the scriptures, which happens by reading, or 
when he speaks to God, which happens by prayer. It was as though he were arguing with a friend. Now, meditation is related to both of these. He's talking about reading and prayer as a kind of medium or a midway point between the two. This is, this, now, this next part is not easy to get into English, but it says, For by the fact that God speaks to us in the scriptures, we are made present to him by the intellect and the affections through meditation and made present to him in this way, or rather by holding him present, we can speak to him by prayer. Okay, we just stop there. So what Thomas has just done is he's, he's said, look, there is this particular activity called contemplation, but in another sense, and very broadly speaking, when we're talking about the contemplative life or contemplation in the most general sense, all of these acts, reading, prayer, meditation, and contemplation itself, are part of contemplation. Notice what he's just, notice what, how he's just described these things. And, and part of what I just want to clarify for you this evening, to remind you of, to put before you as a serious idea by a serious thinker, is what each of these things are first and what happens in them first thomas says uh, reading is this activity the reading of the of scripture is an activity by which um, god speaks to us and i think it's worth noting here on a friday evening that that is a radical claim. How does that work, by the way? Um, let's see here. I've got my notes. I want to read something for you. Here's how it works. Part of the answer, at least. Thomas says elsewhere that the principal author of sacred scripture is the Holy Spirit who in one word of sacred scripture has understood more than may be exposited or discerned by the interpreters of sacred scripture. That means that the Holy Spirit has so ordained Holy Scripture and the, and the reading of Holy Scripture, and in addition to that, the entire causal nexus of created space and time so that scripture can speak in ways that are that cannot be sounded cannot be comprehended by any of its interpreters it's you know as we read in one of paul's letters to timothy it's living and active and you can read scripture and you can expect that God will speak to you through it. Just try it. Just try. That's the first thing. The second is meditation. What is this, according to Thomas? And what's it do? Thomas says 
here that it's like a midway point between reading through which the God speaks to us and prayer through which we speak to God. And to understand this, uh, what he's doing here, you just have to think very concretely about what is happening. When in ordinary life, when it comes to me and you, typically I have to be present to you in some way to speak to you. I mean, the, the, these, um, this has obscured uh, the, the, the limitations on speaking um, to another human being that have been in place for most of our histories, our, our natural histories of species. But nevertheless, this makes me present to you in some way. I need to be present to you, to speak to you, and to hear you speak to me. And Thomas says that here that meditation, whatever else it is, is a kind of holding present or kind of um, or a way in which God is um, held present. Elsewhere, he says that meditation, um, on the one hand, is nothing other than thinking about something many times and in many ways and from many angles in order to cultivate a kind of memory of a thing. And the point here is that when we, when we read Scripture and we absorb it, when we, when we put ourselves in a position to be drawn into the, God, the speech of Holy Scripture, we, um, we begin to cultivate a kind of a bank of sayings and words and images through which God can, the, the Holy Spirit can then illumine and speak to us through. So meditation is, is a kind of um, consideration, a kind of looking at, a kind of, in, in, in other instances, Thomas will describe it as a kind of chewing, a kind of, so right, so to get, uh, so if you just, if you didn't chew your food at dinner tonight, you, you're in trouble. You just swallow it whole. You can't, you can't assimilate it, incorporate it into your body. It can't be a, become part of you. It can, but it, it's, it makes it harder. You have to chew it. And meditation, says Thomas, it's the kind of chewing where you're working Scripture over and asking God to speak to you through it. And here now we arrive with that word asking at the nature of prayer. Here Thomas says that very simply that prayer is a kind of speaking to God, and indeed it is. But elsewhere in the same book, the Commentary on the Sentences, and in virtually every other book in which Thomas writes on prayer, he says it's not simply a kind of speaking to God, it's a very particular kind of speaking. It's an asking. A petition. I'm going to talk about prayer here for another minute or two. 
before I say, but before I do that, I have to say something about contemplation, and we'll come back to that on, uh, yeah, tomorrow. Contemplation, according to Thomas, is different than meditation in so far as meditation approximates what we ordinarily associate with thinking. Meditation is discursive, moves from one thing to the next. I'm, I am asking, well, you know, what does Paul mean in the reading? What is the discernment of spirits? What is a word of knowledge? What's the, what is the word of wisdom? We, we heard this, this passage from 1 Corinthians 12 tonight. What's he talking about? What's it all mean? Contemplation is not a, a kind of search or a kind of inquiry. It's a kind of gaze. It's more akin to the kind of the, the activity that friends and lovers and very close family members take part in when they're kind of just doing nothing except being together. They're just taking it in, taking in what um, the goodness of God the truth or the particular truth that that you've arrived at in your in this contemplative search. So what is prayer? That's what we're talking about this weekend. That's what we will will discuss in our quadlibital discussions. Prayer is a very interesting little intrusion actually in the contemplative life that makes a little bit of trouble for that easy division I made early on about this very fundamental distinction between contemplation and action, the contemplative life and the active life. It's, an, it's a little bit of an intrusion in, in the sense that, according to Thomas, prayer is an act of the practical reason. The speculative reason is the kind of reason that you that you use when you are searching for the truth for its own sake. Practical reason is the kind of reason by which you deliberate about what to do or about what's been done. It's, it, it, but it's ordered to action. Prayer is an act of the practical reason. Isn't that, that might seem strange, but it's, but by Thomas's lights, it's just what we have to say. Because, in fact, when we are praying, we're, we're asking, we're petitioning God. And what are we doing? We're asking God or proposing to God that God do something. And here's another really interesting thing to think about. In this respect, prayer is the... And the whole discourse on prayer... In, in Aquinas is kind of the mirror or, or the companion to the whole on law and the discourse on law. God gives us commands. He tells us as his, we are his subjects. It's, this is a good thing. He tells us what to do. He, he points us toward certain things and away from others through divine law, 
Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, primarily. We, on the other hand, petition God and ask God to do certain things. And, isn't this fantastic, we're actually invited to do this. Prayer is a kind of petition. It's an act of practical reason. It's a kind of um, a moment in the, this contemplative effort in which we pause to propose that God does something. God, would you give me the gift of prophecy would I, that, I, that I might in, be an encouragement to my friends and, and to people I don't know? God, would you... I'm reading 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, the gift of prophecy. Well, what is that? Is it, it must be good. You say to ask for it. <laughs> and then in 1 Thessalonians, you say, be zealous for prophecy. Don't despise prophecy. Okay, well, can I... Something like that. There's a petition. It's a kind of, um, it's, not, it's not right to say it's an interruption, but it's a kind of a moment. It's a kind of casting about and recognizing um, one's own neediness. And asking God to, to meet you in it. Directly and properly, Thomas says that prayer is addressed to God. Secondarily, though, he goes on to say that the saints are entreated as those from whom one gets help from God. And I'm, I'm just breezing over quite a lot of this now um, as an inter- by way of introduction. But I've also, I just want to note, note I've, I've just put some quotations on this handout for you. So you can kind of, you can go and, and read, read Aquinas's own words, as it were, on the things that I'm describing. Okay, I do want, I'm conscious of the time, and I want to talk just for a moment about, uh, in the briefest terms, what Aquinas has to say about the objects of prayer, about the things that we um, can pray for. And then I want to conclude with a couple of remarks on the necessity of prayer in order, um, and this is a kind of way for me to lay a little foundation for what I want to talk about tomorrow um, with respect to charity. Okay. So what can you pray for? I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these moments where you've been uttering a prayer and then thinking, Am I allowed to pray for this? Is it good for me to pray for this? Do, I want to go to architecture school. Can I ask for that? Yes. <laughs> um, Thomas says that we should ask not simply for things in general, but for determinate and definite good things. And he gives us some advice on wh- on which very determinate or definite, very particular things we can ask for. And he and the general rule is this, and it is very general and has to be circumscribed and qualified in every context with respect to every person. But the general rule is is that you can ask for in prayer whatever it's permissible to desire. 
Very general. Um, here's, a, here's a list of things that you can ask for in prayer without qualification because they're the kinds of things with one tiny exception that you can't use. Thomas says here in the Summa, second part of the second part, you can't use these for ill. You can pray without qualification six days a week, twice on Sunday for eternal happiness. God, would you bring me into the heavenly homeland and everybody and bring all these people with me? You can, that's a prayer you can pray <laughs> um, as often as, as you like. You can pray for virtues, the capacities by which we can, um, through the help of grace, act in accordance with our sonship <laughs> uh, in Christ in pursuit of God. You can ask for more charity. God, give me more, give me more love. Make me fill my heart with mercy. Let me see. I know people are suffering here, I, but I, I don't feel like I see it. Would you, would you, would you give me the eyes of mercy? You can ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, those, those capacities that are not, that are virtues, but different than virtues by which the Holy Spirit prompts us and moves us in, in accordance with the divine will. You can, you can read Psalm 84 and say, Lord, I want to hear what you're speaking in me. Turn up the volume. You can ask for charisms or freely given graces like the ones that were read about this evening uh, at the, during the office. And yes, you can ask for temporal or exterior goods. These are things like food, shelter, money so you can you can acquire food and shelter for you and for your loved ones a job so you can acquire money you can ask for you can ask for power people think of power as being this terrible thing bad power or the bad use of power is bad but power itself is it's pretty good you for example you need to you know have the the ability to to take care of the things in your life that are your responsibility to care for you need to be empowered to do that that's that's a so you need it's good to pray that god would give you the capacity to dispatch the problems that come your way and to help others with theirs you can pray for a good reputation you can pray for friends you can ask for all these things as ne the necessary supports and aids that are needed for the exercise of the virtues in pursuit of eternal happiness. All of this is within range of asking and is meant to populate your reading and your meditation um, as, as it's informed through sacred reading. 
Uh, but you might be sitting here wondering, is all this really necessary? Do I, do I need to pray? After all, God, by divine foreknowledge and by divine providence, knows all things that will come to pass and orders all things wisely. If God has already determined by the disposition of providence, what will and will not come to pass, what use is it? What difference does it make to my asking for something? Hmm. Well, Thomas has an excellent answer to this question. And again, all these things are, are, are things I'm hoping just to talk with you about more this weekend. But here's, that, here's the answer to that, to pivot toward another kind of answer. The answer to that is prayer is necessary so that you can receive from God the things that God wishes to give you in response to your asking for them. You know, I, I have two daughters and, uh, and, a, and a very small son who's not yet old enough to ask for things. My daughters ask me for stuff all the time. You know, are you going on a trip? Yes. Will you bring us back a treat? Yes. I will. I, I will bring them a treat. I will bring them a pack of lifesavers that I'll get at the train station. <laughs> and I want to do that. And I've already planned on doing it. But you know what else I want? I want my children to learn to be the kind of people who also want to ask me for things that are good. I want them to know um, in, that I love them beyond a shadow of a doubt, so much so that they can just shower me with requests for lifesavers and everything else. And the point I'm making here is that it, it is, is, it's not about, um, so the, first of all, the point about divine providence is that God has so ordained the world and its course that there are that what God intends to do and to do through you includes in the at, at the causal level your request your active participation in bringing those things out and part of your active, active participation is just the asking why would God do that? Why would God want that for you? To answer that question, we have to talk, as we will tomorrow, about what charity is. Thomas says it's a kind of friendship with God. God, prayer is necessary not merely for acquiring things, whether spiritual goods or temporal. 
Prayer is necessary because it's a means by which human beings can be transformed and need to be transformed. We need to, we need to acquire a kind of confidence or trust in God who's the author of our goods. We need to be roused with fervor without which we forget our purpose and our hearts grow cold. We need to be reminded as we are every time we ask God for something of the necessity of running to divine help for everything we need. We need to be um, actualized in the desire of charity, friendship with God, which as we'll talk about tomorrow is according to Thomas, the moving cause and the final effect of contemplation in the contemplative life. Okay. So contemplators, what questions do you have about that? Yes. Can you speak a little bit more about the qualifications we should bring into when asking for um, certain goods? Yeah, so I mean, I'm a, I'm a moral theologian and I and that means I have to think a lot about circumstances. Circumstances are the, um, I mean, really a, most basically the who, what, when, where, why, how, by what means and what manner, questions that are asked about human beings and the actions that human beings undertake. So, uh, what it's permissible to desire in one instance with respect to one person may not be permissible to desire in another. And you can come up with really simple, you know, easy examples uh, of, you know, what it would not be permissible to pray for, right? So you're really angry. I really wanna hit this guy with an ax. Uh, yeah, right. So um, the fact of your anger doesn't light. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's hardly even worth pursuing. Um, these are these are incredibly um, uh, nuanced questions that are that are pursued best with a confessor and with friends, but also which are themselves pursued in prayer. And this is, this is something that I, that I didn't bring out in the talk tonight. One of the most interesting things that Thomas says about prayer um, in his commentary on the sentences, and then again, it's, it's a bit more oblique, but it's in the, the, his, the later Summa, is he calls prayer the interpreter of desire. And sometimes you come, and I think what this means I've, there are multiple possibilities, but I think what this means is that it's by prayer that we sometimes come to recognize what we want. You know, it's like, I, for me, I mean, writing or thinking is a very tactile per, pursuit. I can't think without one of these I don't know what I'm thinking unless I'm writing it, really. It's just kind of soup until I, right? Pre <clears throat> I think what Thomas is saying is sometimes that prayer itself is like this. We become acquainted with our own desires through it, and it's a way for God to help us sift those desires. 
And I, I'm sorry that I can't answer your, that very general question, but I'll say this. Um, if I'm praying, you know, oh, well, there's, but yeah, I don't think I can say anything more specific unless you have, but if you had a more specific question, you know, would it be, is it all right for me to pray for this? Then we still have to talk a lot, but we could get there. We could get there. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Yes, you. You said, um, well, but Thomas Aquinas said that prayer is an act of practical reason, um, but that, if I understood right, contemplation is about speculative right knowledge. Yeah. So well, how do you, yeah. How does prayer lead to contemplation if they're about different uh, Yeah. So you're asking about that ladder, that sequence. Well, the thought is, and it seems to me well-founded, both on the basis of, of my own reading and my own experience, and that is that there's quite a lot. I just turned 40, and I've recognized there's a lot about my own life and about, the, uh, about God and the world and my place in it that I simply cannot understand on my own. You know, I've got a decent ticker, you know, um, it's kind of my moneymaker. I, you know, I, it, but it has, I have real limitations. And this is true both in my practical life, you know, you know, I find myself more and more just kind of going, what do I do next, God? <laughs> um, and, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but also it's true in the, um, in my, in my, the time I have to devote to understanding the divine mysteries. There is a, um, there is a, um, a kind of understanding that we have of God that is only ours through gifts that God gives us. So those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking now of the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of understanding. And it's also seen in Thomas. Now, St. John of the Cross, um, who I think um, I think is essentially um, an interesting Thomist, thinks, um, um, I think is very clear that there are also degrees of the contemplative life. Thomas is clear about this as well. There are degrees of contemplation. There are that are themselves, um, they're beyond the hu human capacity. And so it's something that God must draw us into. And the, the point is, I guess one point to be made is, and you can ask for that. ask for determinate goods like like you could ask like why can't you ask for general goods you can um maybe sometimes you don't know what to ask you know generally what to ask but you don't know exactly what you need well now you're making a uh, one kind of very determinate prayer when you're saying god i know i need like you know this when you're 
minivan dies in the dead of winter, you know you need a van. I need it. You know, this is, I'm just speaking from experience. <laughs> we need a van. We need something. We don't know what we need. We don't know how, to, how we're going to get it. But would you give us a, a, a van? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm thinking particularly about this idea of um, the bank of memory that you're talking about when we discuss meditation. If um, there's sort of a term, a term or sort of um, language that is used by clients to describe this, because I've sort of seen it in contemporary scholarship by Mary Carruthers, um, but I'm more interested in sort of a theological take. What does Thomas Aquinas have to say about memory in relation to meditation? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's a, how about this? Here's a quotation from the commentary on the Gospel of John. So he's commenting here on Jesus' words when Jesus is saying in the, the farewell discourse or the very beginning of it, when he says, he's talking about my words abiding in you. You know, like, I'm speaking to you and let my words abide in you. Remain in you. Be, let me be, I, because I am the vine, you be the branch. Abide. Let my words abide in you. Thomas says, he quotes Proverbs 4.20, My son, be attentive to my words, namely, he's, he's glossing Jesus' words, be attentive to Jesus' words by believing in them, and don't let them escape from your sight. How? by meditating on them and keep them in, within your heart by loving them. In this way, the words of God, when believed and meditated upon, inform us to ask for the things necessary for our salvation. Now, how, how, how does that information happen? In the first work of theology Aquinas ever writes, he says here, um, he's quoting, he's glossing a term and he says, we are enjoined to put God in our memory. Now that's a synecdoche. Um, it, he's talking about the things of God in our memory. I mean, the memory is a, is a, it's a bank of images and ideas. And, um, Thomas thinks of memory as being a part of prudence. Prudence is the virtue that connects all the other virtues together. So if prudence connects all the other virtues together and memory is a part of prudence, then what you've got, then, then who you are, your constitution, your moral constitution as a person is very much bound up with your memory which shapes what you know and how you think and how you desire. This is a, it's an exhortation to prayer. And Thomas has a commentary on Aristotle's memory and reminiscence. And I'll, I'm going to, I think I'm about to start nerding out on that. So I'll just stop. <laughs>